we're talking about joy today. And we're not just talking about how to have joy, we're talking about how to give it. And I want to jump right in this morning, so we're going to give our sermon summary right here at the beginning. The sermon summary this morning is this, Christmas is the time when followers of Jesus should shine brightest with the joy that comes from God. Christmas is the time when followers of Jesus should shine brightest with the joy that comes from God. Now, one of the problems with a sermon about joy is we don't really know what joy means. Looking for an answer to exactly what is it leads to some interesting results. The dictionary's top choice is the way I think we usually think of joy. The dictionary says that joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. In other words, the dictionary says that joy equals happiness. But here's a problem with that. The Bible disagrees. The Bible has a word for happy or happiness. It's the word blessed. And it's never used as a command. All through Scripture, never once are we commanded to be happy. And there's a reason for that. It's always something that happens to you. Right? You don't bless yourself. You are blessed by someone or something else. Blessing or happiness is something that happens to you. And I think that all of us can understand this. Happiness is something that comes from good experiences. And we feel quite a bit of that around Christmas. For me, I know it happens every time I hear, every year, my, first, my favorite Christmas song for the first time. Uh, my favorite Christmas song is the best Christmas song, which is Little Drummer Boy. Right? But it has to be one of the good versions. But you know what I mean when you hear your, your favorite if it's not that one, it's, it's not the best, but it's yours. Um, you hear that song for the first time, you just get that warm, happy feeling, right? Or you know when, when you sit down maybe some point, in, some point in your life and you just think, you know what, I have the things that I want to have, or I have the things that I need. Life is going well, and you feel happy. You need to, to get this and remember it. Happiness is something that happens to you. Happiness is something that happens to you. God doesn't command it because you can't force it. You can't make yourself happy because happiness is something that happens to you. And this is also important. Happiness is not one of the fruits of the Spirit. When the Apostle Paul talks about what kinds of things should show up in the heart of a Christian who has the Holy Spirit, he does not list happiness. And there's a reason. Because becoming a Christian does not guarantee an easy life full of good and easy things. Sometimes life is hard. And that's true whether you're a Christian or not. Our faith doesn't protect us from hard things or hard times. In fact, sometimes we go through harder things because of our faith. Happiness is not ever guaranteed in Scripture. But joy is. And God commands joy. He commands it all the time. 
One verse that comes immediately to mind for me, maybe it does for you too, it's my wife's favorite verse. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's commanding us to have joy. He says it twice, just to make sure it really gets through. Another place that we see this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is talking about just all the things that they have been going through. And as he describes how they're doing, kind of giving a ministry update, he says that they're sorrowful. These bad things have happened to them. Yet they're always rejoicing. Their joy is not based on what's happening to them. Their joy comes from something else. Now this is important. If you're a note taker, I want you to write this down. Please remember this. Joy can be commanded because it does not depend on changing circumstances, but it depends on the one who does not change. I'll say that again. God can command joy because joy does not depend on changing circumstances. It depends on the one who does not change. Our joy comes from the Lord, and the Lord is constant. He is always the first and the last, the omega, the alpha, and the omega, the beginning and the end. God is always there, and he's the source of our joy. Now, what does this look like? How do we draw joy from God? How do, we, how do we get that from our relationship with him? Our, our scripture today is a perfect example, so we're going to go through it bit by bit. We're going to take it kind of out of order, though, so stay with me. You can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to kind of bounce around through the rest of the chapter. It'll also be up here. Luke chapter 2. So Joseph and Mary, they've had Jesus, and they're getting ready to take him for some of the early rituals that the Jewish people did when they had a child. Starting in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So they're going to the temple to fulfill the requirements that are basically found in Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12. If you are dying to know exactly what those are, you are welcome to go and read those passages. We talked about some of them a few months ago, Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12, but they say what is expected both of a mother and of a child to be, to be redeemed, to be purified. So they go to fulfill those requirements because they take their faith in the law of the Lord seriously. Now there are several options for sacrifices that are given in those passages, and what Joseph and Mary do is they choose the, the least expensive possibility, and the reason for that is because they are very, very poor. This is a sacrifice for them, a very difficult thing. 
yet they're doing it anyway. Now, while, while they're doing all of this business, they have two important encounters. Two people come up to them that we read about. One with a holy man named Simeon. And we're going we're gonna to talk about him, but we're going to talk about him at the end. The one I want to kind of zero in on is with a prophetess named Anna. So I want to jump down to verse 36. Luke 2, verse 36. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, coming up to Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now I want to tell you a little bit about Anna. There are always parts of these stories here at the beginning of the Gospels that it's just easy for us to pass by. We've read them or heard them so many times, we just miss some of the important pieces. And I think that happens here. And only gets a few verses, and so it's easy for us to skip by. But if we do, we miss something important. So, Anna. This is not a photograph of Anna. But it is a photograph of someone I think a lot like her. You see, God had been silent for 400 years before the beginning of the New Testament. After the, the prophecies of Malachi in about 420 B.C., it's incredibly clear through Jewish history that there were no more prophets. God had gone silent. And the, the, the Jewish people had gone through very difficult times in his absence. They had been conquered. They'd rebelled. They'd been conquered again. They were living at this time under the thumb of the Romans, who, while the Romans let them practice their religion, they took incredibly high taxes. The tax system under the Romans was hopelessly corrupt. Tax collectors could take as much as they wanted. There was the amount that Rome expected, but then they were allowed to demand whatever amount they wanted. And they were allowed to use thugs to enforce that, if you didn't want to give up what they asked you for. So they got to decide, corrupt people who directly benefited, what you paid in taxes. And this was the lot of the Jewish people. The people who'd received promise after promise from God that he'd be with them. But those promises, all through the Old Testament, again and again, are based on one thing. God promises to be with them if they will obey. He promises to, that they will be his people if they will make him their God. And again and again and again they rebel. And they rebel because they're human. And we human beings, we have this incredible capacity to mess things up. And so they receive this incredible blessing from God, this, this promise. It's kind of like a, a marriage of God and his people. And then the prophet Ezekiel 
about 600 B.C., while he's in exile, he sees this vision of God's spirit leaving the temple. You remember the temple, right? This, this building that sat in the middle of God's people where God's presence dwelled. God's presence was really, truly there. They would come and they would worship him and they would know that he was there. And then, while they're in exile, one of their prophets sees God's spirit leave. Because they'd rebelled over and over again. In other words, they'd said, I don't want you. So he left. But Ezekiel saw something else. He saw a vision that one day God's spirit would return. He saw that this wasn't God leaving his people forever. This was redemptive. This was God leaving so that they would understand how important his presence was. And he promised that one day God would return. And then the prophet Daniel, he had, he had gone through and, and been given a vision by God of how long that would take. But like all prophecies, it was kind of hard to decipher. He talked about 77s of years. And so God's people, they, they did the math and they figured out that right around the time of Jesus was around when God would return. They were on high alert. People were expecting to see God come back to the temple. And then you remember about a year before our story today, Zechariah the priest, he's in the temple. He's doing his duty, right? Taking care of the things in the temple and he stands at the altar, and he gives a prayer. I think for a child, as he and his wife had not had one yet, even though they were old in age. And you remember what happened, right? An angel, Gabriel, he appears, and he says to Zechariah, your prayers will be answered, you will have a child. And Zechariah, he's skeptical. I think we can understand. Most of us, once we passed 80 or so would probably be skeptical if we were promised a baby, right? But, but that is what happens. And so, Gabriel says, you will not speak until the baby is born. You're going to be mute. So what happens is Zechariah comes running out of the temple and he's waving his arms and he's trying to tell everyone, this is what God is returning. I saw an angel. He spoke to me. God is on the move. But he couldn't. So he just came out really excited and started drawing crazy things in the sand. But I imagine that the rumors started going around. Maybe something's happening. And then here's Anna. It says that Anna's 84, but it's unclear. Because it could be that she's 84. It could be saying she was a widow for 84 years. We're honestly not sure. So she might be 84, she might be much, much older. But what we do know is that for a very, very long time, she's been living in the temple. Now it says that she's a prophet, and that's important because there had been no prophets for 400 years. God had been silent. And then he decides, through this woman, he's going to speak and share a promise of his return. And so, she waits. 
Whether she had other messages for God's people before then, we don't know. This is the only one we hear about. She waits. She probably actually lives in the temple. She prays and worships every single day, longing for the source of joy that God's people need so very much. And then one day, then one day, it happens. And she comes running up to Mary and Joseph, and she cannot stop expressing her joy because God has revealed to her who this baby is. The passage actually says, She came up to them, she gave thanks to God, and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I think about being Mary and Joseph in that moment. Not all of the attention Jesus has received has been good, right? And so here comes this woman running up and saying, oh my goodness, do you know who this is? And she's talking to everyone. Everyone who's looking forward to God's redemption, she says, this is it. This is him. It's here. She'd found and was proclaiming a source of joy. So so what is that joy, right? It's not happiness because it's not based on what happens to us. It's not based on what happens outside or inside. It's, It's based on what happens outside. It's based on what God does. You see, joy is related to hope. Hope is when, no matter what is happening, no matter how hard things are right now, we find comfort and promise in knowing that we are living in a story that God is telling us. And we know how that story is going to end. And so even though it looks like our life might be over, even when it looks like nothing good will ever happen again, we can have hope because we know the end of the story. Joy is when we take that end, that promise of God, the promise of an eternal life lived with him, of forgiveness and redemption and an eternal fellowship, and we bring it back and live with it today. Hope is when we look to the end of God's story, and joy is when we grab hold of that end and we bring it back to today. What does that mean? Have you ever been in your office on a Friday and you're just done? And then you realize it's Friday and the joy of the weekend gets you through the rest of the day? It's like you you think about the weekend coming, you grab hold of that and you bring it to where you're at right now and it helps. Or maybe maybe it's, it's vacation is coming. Something is going on, maybe you're in the midst of the stress or the trial or the frustration, but you know that the vacation is coming. And just thinking about how wonderful vacation is going to be helps you get through what you're going through now. Or maybe it's when your grandkids are going to be visiting. Or maybe you have a date tonight, and the excitement of that just gets you through what you're going through today. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's how joy works. But biblical joy isn't about those those changing circumstances. Biblical joy is about looking forward to the promised redemption and eternal fellowship with God 
that his people are promised and bringing that back and living with it today. So that even if a person on the outside were to look in and say, how are you not just miserable? Nothing's going right. Everything's hard. How are you not just miserable? In that moment, when things are darkest and hardest, still we can have joy. Because the circumstances we're in change. But God and his promises do not. Joy is when we fixate on those and we bring them back to today. And that's why the birth of Jesus is such a cause for joy. Because Christmas reminds us that the story we're in isn't over. That God is at work in the world and through his people and will one day make our salvation complete. And that's why God can command us to have joy. And he does over and over again through the scriptures. He commands joy. Because it comes from remembering his son. And when we have joy, when we truly have joy, it changes the world around us. Joy is like a virus, like a good infection. It spreads. When a person is truly joyful, they kind of stir up the world around them. They provide blessing to the people around them, but maybe, if they're intentional, they provide something better than blessing. They provide and share joy. Now, we all know that that's true. We all know that that happens. We've seen it before. You know that person who just has that joy? Who in the midst of, of hardship, in the midst of a hard day, still is bright? Still is focused on the goodness of the Lord? And you know how just being around them can change the way you feel right then? Joy is like a virus. It's like a good infection. So how can you give joy to others instead of just having it yourself? I, I came up with three concrete suggestions today for you about how to have joy. The first one is this. Give unexpected gifts. You see, during the Christmas season, gift giving is just an accepted part of it. It's easy, though, for us to forget that the giving of gifts is not just to get stuff. That's not what the purpose is for. It reminds us of the story of the birth of Jesus with the wise men bringing gifts to Joseph and Mary, but also giving a gift is giving a grace. A gift is not something that's earned. It's freely given. Have you ever received a gift you didn't intend to receive or you didn't know you were going to receive? And first you have that moment of panic, I didn't get them one too. Am I the bad guy because I didn't buy one too? If you can give an unexpected gift in such a way that they know it's not, you're not expecting reciprocity. You remind them that they're one of the ways God is at work in, the, in your life. And you want to share some of the blessing and joy he's given you with them. And this can be anything. It can be a gift. It can be a word of encouragement. It can be a note or a card. 
It can be just you sharing how God has used them in your life. Give an unexpected gift that has a way of waking us up, of reminding us of the goodness of God and spreading joy. Here's another way. Receive gifts well. Some people are terrible about receiving gifts. You might be one of them, right? You give a person a gift on Christmas morning and they open and they say, oh, socks, I needed socks, thanks. And you who, who, who have given this, this, this free gift out of love and wanting to share joy, you say, what? Like, that's what you asked for. Why, why aren't you more glad for this? I think about this like going to Kohl's. When my wife wants to go to Kohl's, I can go in one of two ways. You all know exactly what I mean. Oh boy, we're at Kohl's. Yeah, I, I need another shirt. Thanks, sweetie. Yep, no, those look great. Just buy whatever you want so we can leave. I can go that way. Or I can decide to be different. I can decide to delight in the experience. I can decide to share it with her and be grateful for it. And you know that internal choice you make. Maybe for you it's not going to Kohl's. Maybe for you it's watching a football game. Or maybe for you it's playing a game with the family. Or watching that TV show that you don't understand why she likes, but you just love her and want to watch it with her anyway, right? You can make that decision to do it in one of two ways. And if you decide to share it in delight, you see what happens that's different, don't you? There's nothing better than giving a gift to someone and see the joy that it imparts. Be that person. Make that decision this year. And let the person know that they are one of the ways that God is at work in your life. Even for a pair of socks. There's a third way. This is important. We tell this to children... But sometimes grown-ups need to hear it too. The best way to, to share joy is to use your words. You've got to use your words. You see, a person doesn't know that they're one of the ways God is working in your life unless you tell them. A person doesn't know what the Christmas story means to you, how your heart is drawn back to the Lord unless you share it. The person around you can't, can't experience your joy with you unless you open up and tell them about it. Some of you in here, I imagine, have Christmas traditions that mean the world to you and no one else in your family knows. What if this year you used your words and you said, I love this because it reminds me of Jesus. I love that we put Christmas decorations up because it reminds me of the Lord. What if this year you used your words to share the joy that God had given to you? And I imagine if we just all did this, if every member of a family did, that idea of Christmas just hasn't hit me yet. I don't feel like we're in the Christmas season. I feel like that would go away. 
Because joy would be shared. And you can do this when things are going well, and you can do it when things are going poorly. You can use your words and share joy. I want to end today about, by talking about Simeon. We've got a picture of Simeon. This is uh, Simeon coming to hold Jesus. As he sees Joseph and Mary and he walks up and the scripture actually says he takes Jesus and holds him, which would not go well today. Don't do that, right? When you see a child you don't know, please don't walk up and grab them. But this is what Simeon did. It was a different time. And he's joyful. You see Anna there too because she comes up while Simeon's holding Jesus. And these two joyful saints praising God. God had promised Simeon, Simeon, you won't die before your first Christmas. You'll see the Savior before you die. And so the scriptures say that he has the Holy Spirit and the Spirit leads him to the temple. And while Joseph and Mary are fulfilling the law, Simeon gets swept up and he praises God and he says this, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He sees that Christmas has come and his life is complete. This year, may you be moved by the Lord Jesus on the next slide. There we go. May the birth of a baby to two poor people in the Middle East 2,000 years ago be the blessing to you that you know it can be. May you set your heart on the Lord. Be reminded and filled with joy by the coming of Christmas. May it be fresh for you again this year. May everything else in your life fade away your hardships, your struggles, that frustrating relative that's going to be coming over, whatever it is, may it fade to the background and you be filled with joy, a joy to be shared by the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be moved and in being moved, be used by the Lord to move others. Pray with me. Father God, we come before you. Lord, and we say thank you. Thank you for blessings. Thank you for the way that you have blessed us in so rich, full, and eternal a fashion through the birth of your Son. Thank you for his life, for his death and resurrection that makes our relationship with you possible. Lord, thank you for Christmas. 
May we have the eyes of our heart open to see the reminders before us of the greatest blessing that's ever been given. May we be refilled, filled anew, refreshed in our spirit with the joy of Christmas and be a person who spreads that joy to others. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.